Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Sunday morning, December the 3rd, 2023. We are exactly 49 hours away from the start of the Moore appeal and in the Supreme Court. And the reason that that's significant is because on Friday, December the 1st, Senator Ron Wyden introduced what he's calling the Billionaires Tax Act, which relies very much on deemed sales. In other words, income not actually distributed. So it's interesting to me that this was released a few days prior to more. But joining me in this fascinating discussion today from Dubai is U.S. lawyer Virginia Latora Jeker, who has some fabulous thoughts and has done some quick research on this this whole thing and is going to share her thoughts with us this morning. So good morning, Virginia. How are you? Hi, John. It's evening for me. It's after 6 p.m. in Dubai, and we are on a long weekend because we just celebrated our National Day yesterday. Oh, very nice. Well, very nice to take time out and discuss this. I mean, I, I gather that uh, that you see this proposal as a proposal of not such a small thing and some great significance. Is that correct? Absolutely, John. Absolutely. Well, why don't we start with, you know, the Reader's Digest version. I understand that they released three versions, the one-page Reader's Digest, the 12-page sort of legislative summary, and the third hundred pages of legislative horror, uh, et cetera. So why don't we uh, why don't we start with the one page Reader's Digest? What are they what are they trying to do with this? Well, essentially what they're trying to do is impose this special tax regime on so-called billionaires. But when you get into the nitty gritty, of course, um, we are not talking about only billionaires and you and I will, I'm sure, discuss that a little bit more over the course of our, our podcast today. But what they are trying to do is essentially say, listen, you um, people who are applicable taxpayers to whom this special billionaire's income tax will apply are going to have to essentially pay tax on a deemed sale of all of your so-called tradable assets, those would be marketable type assets such as stocks and securities. You're going to have to pretend you sold them every year and pay this mark to market tax on the pretend gain that you have. Um, for your so-called non-tradable assets, for example, real estate that you can't value easily or interest in a family held business, things of that nature, you will get hit with this special tax when you finally dispose of that asset. So eventually when you sell it, you're going to have to take into account this deferral charge on gains from those assets. In other words, you will have to figure out what the interest essentially would have been on the tax that was owed as if you um, had held that asset for as many years as you held it you're going to pay a deferral charge each year. So if people are familiar with the PFIC regime, the Passive Foreign Investment Company tax regime, it's essentially that same kind of notion for the um, default PFIC rules. 
Okay, so, but even on, on that, okay, uh, on the non-tradable assets, the price that you're paying, I mean, they'll call it a tax, but I think it's it's far more than that, is based on the assumption that it actually is or should have been sold every year, even though it wasn't, right? That's right. Okay. So you're going to figure out how much tax would have been owed on the gain in each year that you held it, and then you will be assessed an interest element on the unpaid tax for the time that that tax was deferred. Right, and in the same in the same way that if you'd failed to file a tax return, uh, you know, and therefore had not paid tax in the year that it was owing, and the interest would accrue. Right, it's the same kind of principle, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so this, this is pretty high. So you know, well, they really are. Uh, so I mean, this is this is very very interesting. And again, what's fascinating about this is that it is not taxing events where there's realization generally. Okay, what it's doing is it's based one way or the other. It's based on a deemed sale, a pretend sale what would happen if it actually had been sold, even though it wasn't, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, now that's very, very, very interesting stuff. And I would throw in a comment here that this is, in fact, stuff that is, was proposed, been proposed the last few years in the Biden, the, the Biden Treasury Green Books, right? Yes. Now, these are what they, they want to do, okay? They want to, they want to tax capital gains. Uh, every year, and sort of the mark to mark, mark to mark. I think mark. Would you agree that mark to market taxation is code for it wasn't really sold, but we're going to pretend it was sold? <laughs> That's the perfect way to put it. Yeah, I, I think that. I think. And I, we're seeing more and more and more of this. And interestingly, to use the word "more," we have the more case soon to be decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. Hearings start tomorrow, John. Tuesday, Tuesday. Tuesday, okay. 49 hours from now. There you go. Well, the Moore case involves this kind of issue as well. Well, it certainly does. And and that's why I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that they would release this thing on a Friday before the Moore thing. I mean, they must know. They obviously know this. Um, I don't know what their thinking is on this. I mean, I, I think that this... I don't know. I mean, I think that this is going to uh, inflame as many people as, uh, as you know, who say, well, look, you know, this is really, really good. But, you know, Virginia, this is in, in this press release. Right. Uh, and I think, in fact, even even the Reader's Digest version. It doesn't Senator Wyden talk about, you know, really two things, the injustice of you know, a group of people not paying tax every year, right? And then he then he compares that to, you know, the the teachers and the firemen. And I think that's a not so comparison. I think it's crazy. I mean, these teachers and firemen, they have pensions. You know, generally, I mean, these people are not, you know, they may pay tax every year, but they get these great pensions, et cetera. I mean, that's you know, where, where's the comparison, you know, to the you know, the, the self-employed plumber or somebody who has no, uh, you know, no pension at all. I mean, I think this guy is seriously disconnected from reality. And I think that this is very much about just envy, hatred of the billionaires. You know, the idea, what he doesn't like 
is the fact that they're not paying tax every year. Mm -hmm. So to some extent, what this is about is that to be an American means we all pay tax every year. You can't be an American without paying tax. Well, what irked me very much about this, I just viewed it as propaganda, this, this one pager, is that it's so geared to the masses to get them up in arms to hate wealthy people. So language such as working Americans like nurses and firefighters pay taxes out of every paycheck, but billionaires do not. Well, you're comparing apples and oranges. Nurses and firefighters are employees working. Billionaires are often not employees of, of a job that's going to be taking taxes out of their paycheck every year. These are people that are entrepreneurs. They've, you know, they've started businesses. They've done really well for themselves. Um, it's not right to say they are able to, quote, avoid paying a fair share in taxes for decades, if not indefinitely. They're paying taxes when their stocks or businesses, assets are sold, just like the average working American, the nurse or the firefighter who sells his stocks, he pays tax. So does the billionaire. What no. this proposal is doing is saying, well, you know what? Even if they don't sell their stocks or their other assets, we're going to treat them as if they've sold it and make them pay tax every year on the value of um, the increment, their pretend capital gain on this pretend sale that has happened. Well, it's and even that, worse than that, Virginia. It's even worse than that, because in the case of, of non-tradable assets, uh, that is even where they cannot, the right? Where they cannot, because they're not tradable you know, on a recognized market where they really can't do it. You know, when they do sell, they're, they're hitting them with this, this PFIC type interest charge, et cetera, right? That's right. So, That's right. you know, it, it's actually, it's actually, I think, a, a great deal worse than that. Um, yes, for non-tradable assets, absolutely correct. You know, you know what occurs to me? Uh, would you agree with me? Uh, you know, I, you're, 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 you use emotive language far less than I do. I think we know that from our, our years of discussing uh, these types of things. But it really would seem to me that part of the issue here, you know, as Warren Buffett, you know, famously said, well, I pay less tax than my secretary. He meant at a lower tax rate. He didn't mean less tax. But I mean, isn't part of the issue here that investment income is taxed at a much lower rate than, you know, than employment income? Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't a way to get at this generally, generally? I mean, we're after, oh, after all, we're only talking about 700 billionaires, according to the press release, right? So, I mean, you know, really, who cares about the 700 billionaires? It reminds me of you know, in the 60s, when the alternative minimum it's tax was... It's an appeal to the masses, this this whole thing, the way right. it's written out. We hate these people. We hate but people, getting yes, away with People are not reading the 100 pages of proposed legislation the way you and I are reading it. They're not getting into the nitty-gritty. They are being dragged along into this little fantasy of, oh, yeah, we have to get those people. There's only 700 of them, and they're not paying tax. Let's get them. Let's lock them up. Let's obliterate the millionaires. Why not call it Obliterate the Millionaires Act or something like that? 
in it, it just goes to show you really their agenda, calling it a, a billionaire's uh, tax act. But if you look at the tests for who it, who it applies to, what is that threshold for income? I can't remember the number now off the top of my head, but it's not a billion dollars. It's a hundred million, million, I think, isn't it? A hundred million, okay. So already the test is not matching the language they're using. Well, of course not. And of course, what comes to mind is something something that you and I know very, very well, which is the 877A exit tax. You remember good old Teddy Kennedy saying, oh, this is the billionaire's tax, the billionaire's tax. Well, I mean, Virginia, I spent a good portion of my life helping very middle class pedestrian people avoid the, the billionaire's tax, don't you? Yes, absolutely. And my goodness, John, so many people fall into the traps under the expatriation regime where they don't know, for example, when they're feeling coerced at the airport to give up the green card because they haven't been in the States and to avoid issues, they, they sign the I-407 and they've held the green card for at least eight years. Now suddenly they've expatriated. They have no clue that that's what they've done and that now they are probably covered expatriates because they didn't certify under penalties of perjury. They've been fully tax compliant for the five years before. Who knows? But that person, and I, I you know, spoke to one very recently, basically has nothing, but they could fall into this trap. So that person may end up being a covered expatriate under our current rules. And as we'll talk later, these guys are hit even harder under this billionaire's tax act. So, well, um, as I expect our discussion to go to later, this definition of applicable taxpayer under this billionaire's tax is very analogous to covered expatriate, mm -hmm. uh, you know, under under the exit tax regime. But let me just ask you a question, slightly disconnected from our discussion, but. Do you think it would make sense, okay, as an you know, as an alternative to all of this nonsense, you know, going after the wealthy, to just tax investment income in the same way that employment income is taxed, instead of you know setting up this regime where you know capital gains are taxed at a lower rate and dividends are taxed at a lower rate, and you know, I mean, doesn't this facilitate this divide here? Where I mean, I would agree, and I'm not exactly a, a tax-friendly guy, as you know, okay, but even I would agree uh, that it is obscenely unfair, uh, you know, to tax somebody who has $100,000 of employment income at a higher rate than somebody who has $100,000 of dividend income or capital gain income. Mm -hmm. Well, John, the whole problem is they have to look at the policy behind these rules. So they want people to make investments in companies. They want to encourage this kind of investment and growth for the economy. Well, then maybe well, they shouldn't punish them if you know if they do. Well, that's it. the point. Now it's you know going 180 degrees, and it's like, well, if that's how you've made your money, we're going to hit you over the head because we're angry about it. That's how funny. ridiculous! How ridiculous. My God. All right. Before we move into how this, you know, how the expatriation stuff works, I think it might be good to put together a very, very simple example of what we're talking about. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so first of all, uh, if you could just take a second and say for the moment, 
who who does this apply to for the moment? Who would be an applicable taxpayer? Okay, so an applicable taxpayer is someone who has more than a hundred million dollars in annual income, or more than one billion in in assets. Okay. For this for three consecutive years, those people would be covered by this proposal. Do you think this is the next thing President Trump has to worry about? I mean, maybe, maybe <laughs> this is maybe this is another Democrat's plot, you know, to go after President Trump. But okay. Now, the point here is that none of this is indexed to inflation, right? And and all you have to do as a revenue offset is change that amount to drag more taxpayers into it, right? That's right. Okay. So that so the applicable taxpayer is the new evil. The new evil. Mm-hmm. All right. Can you imagine people at cocktail parties? Tell me, do you do you know any applicable taxpayers in our neighborhood? I mean, you know, this is they'll be they'll be uh, applicable taxpayers. Or, 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 or can you just imagine? I'd like to ask you for for your hand in marriage. Well, I don't know. Are you an applicable taxpayer? That's right, because if you are, I don't want you dragging me into it because I will automatically be come one under this legislation. Yeah, I mean that that is that is absolutely amazing, isn't it? You know, to sort of you know, designate the future spouse. You marry this person at your peril because you're going to become an applicable taxpayer, right? Okay. So applicable taxpayers. Now let's let's for listeners, let's be clear on the concept of a tradable asset. Now a tradable asset, as I understand it, is something that's tradable in sort of a public exchange where there's a public price valuation, you know, every year. So why don't we say um well thinking about billionaires why don't we say if you own Berkshire Hathaway stock, that's more mm-hmm. market stock, it's publicly trading. So if you're a billionaire who owns that, say Warren Buffett, then every year, because you can look that up on an exchange, you're deemed to have sold that, right? Correct. And you'll pay tax on that. Could you help me with this? Where does somebody get the money to pay the tax, by the way? Well, John, if you're a billionaire, obviously you must have tons of money hanging around. Like you reach under the mattress or something to give it to the IRS or? I don't know. They don't care. They have never cared about why you might not have the funds available to pay. Do you think you might have to actually sell some of this stuff, you know, to pay this tax? I'm sure you would. So, I mean, isn't it, isn't it, you know, regardless of where you are in the political spectrum, isn't this just a clear attempt to erode the capital of a certain group of people? It sounds it to me. Yeah, I mean, okay. So that's if it's tradable. You know, and that has, so that's going to be every year. Now, non-tradable would be something like, um, let's say that you own, uh, let's say that you own, a, you know, a 150-story apartment building somewhere or something like mm-hmm. that, a piece of mm-hmm. real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, wait, that's not tradable on an exchange. So, you, so because it's non-tradable, you don't automatically pay a tax every year, right? That's correct. You don't pay the tax. So let's say you bought it for one billion and you sell it for three billion. And when you sell it, so you're going to pay a capital gains tax. Correct. Uh, on on the two billion, two billion of gain what that you have. But if you've had it for 20 years, what they're going to do is they're going to say, okay, so two billion of gain. You had it for 20 years. So we're going to allocate that two billion, say, but really each of that. One twentieth for every year, right? 
That's correct. Okay, and then okay, so then and then they're going to subject that to the applicable tax rate at the time, right? Yes. Then they're going to say, "But hey, buddy, excuse me, you owed us that tax nineteen years ago, and you haven't paid it, so we're going to impose an interest charge on that, right?" That's right. So they really, really go at them on the non-tradable asset thing, don't they? Because this is where you get all these deferred charges. And I think if I read correctly, um, Senator Wyden and Warren have graciously said that they will not want more than 49% of the gain. That's cool. That's generous. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so th that's that's the second thing, right? Uh, now, a third thing that's of interest is this. Let's say that the... Um, Let's say you have a privately held C corporation and you are, you know, and then you pay a dividend. Uh, that's subject to this uh, deferred tax thing as well, this going backwards, allocating it over the years in an interest charge, right? That sounds right, John, but I, I haven't parsed that part of the statute. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's what it actually says. So, okay. so really, isn't this just treating... Uh, all the assets of an applicable taxpayer as though they're PFIX? That's how it sounds to me. Yeah, I think that's right. That's so, exactly how it sounds. So welcome to the world of Americans abroad. <laughs> you know, think of that. But now, I mean, this is pretty horrible. So do you think it's possible, Virginia, do you think it's remotely possible that somebody might look at this and say, well, either I'm a billionaire and I've got to get out or I'm sure never going to become a billionaire. I don't want to become a billionaire with this on the horizon. Do you think there's people who might actually think it might make sense to renounce their U.S. citizenship with this going on? Well, once they become aware of this, they're going to really have to think about pulling the plug because... Think about how many green card holders we have, because we're always thinking of U.S. citizens giving up citizenship. But remember, all of these green card holders who are long-term residents, meaning they've held their green card for at least eight tax years, which is very easy to, to meet, um, they are also going to be dragged into this mess with... Um, harsher rules for covered expatriates, which we will talk about. So it's not just the citizens who have to be thinking. It's the people who are contemplating getting green cards or people who have them and they have to think about, should I be keeping these things? Oh, they should never even get them. They should never even get them. I think that anybody who gets a green card today, unless you've made the decision you want to stay permanently for like forever in the United States, it's out of, you're out of your mind. Yes, they'll be much better with a a visa, because in, in fact, we have so many problems with the green card, people coming back who've been out of the States for too long. Um, their chances of being denied entry are greater than the, that visa holder. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. It just doesn't matter. I, I think the people who market these EB-5 things, uh, frankly, I should be telling people about this, but of course they don't. Mm -hmm. but okay, so, so expatriation. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a, perhaps a provocative thing, and I'd be interested in your comment to set this off. Uh, you know, I, I think that that for many green card holders and uh, and Americans, the single best financial investment they could make in their future is to expatriate, either renounce citizenship or abandon the green card. Mm -hmm. 
What do you think, Virginia? I'm with you there. If they're covered expatriates and they have to pay the pretend sale, you know, taxes, uh, there's planning that can be done. We can help them reduce the tax bite. But once this comes in, I mean, this is scary stuff for covered expatriates. This is very scary stuff. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> well, I think it does. I think it does two things. Okay. The first thing it does um, is it dramatically and violently and ferociously enhances the the bite of the H-77A regime, the current regime. Yes, John. Now, let's talk about that. how it does that. How does it do that? Because the current regime says, all right, you're deemed to sell all of your worldwide assets on the expatriation date, and you have to pay tax on that pretend gain. What this proposal adds on to it is it says, all right, if you're one of those covered expatriates, you are going to pay the um, normal exit tax, but something even worse is going to happen to you. And why don't we talk, John, about what that horrible thing is? They will become these accidental billionaires subject to this billionaire tax, because what's going to happen is they are treated as if a lot of their foreign source income is going to be recharacterized as U.S. source. For example, if they had U.S. stocks earning um, dividends, that would uh, typically not be taxed to the normal non-resident alien. Or when that usual non-resident alien sells those U.S. stocks, he's not taxed on the gain. So these items of income will then be taxed to that person under an alternative tax regime that used to be our old expatriation regime in the old days. In addition, what will happen, that will go on for 10 years. So there will be this recharacterization of gain for a 10 year follow-up period following expatriation. And if by chance they spend more than 30 days in the US at any time in the year during that 10 year period, they will be treated as a U.S. citizen subject to worldwide tax uh, on their income, worldwide income. And at the end of the 10-year period that we just spoke about, his worldwide assets will again be marked to market and subject to the exit tax again. So he's had the exit tax, the normal exit tax upon expatriation. And if he's one of these people that's covered under this Billionaires Act, then he's going to be taxed for a 10-year shadow period on items of income that normally would not be taxed to the non-resident alien. And then at the end of that 10-year period, he's got to take his worldwide assets, mark them to market yet again, and pay the exit tax again. So we are... Taking a tax that is currently what twenty three point eight percent, twenty three point eight percent, and we're doubling that. Well, that's exactly right. So, I mean, what's happening is this: that you know, for listeners, uh, before two thousand and eight, um, U.S. did not have an exit tax. It's had this alternative tax regime that Virginia just described. What this is proposing to do is, one, enhance the exit tax. My interpretation of this is that 
for these applicable taxpayers, they're going to be paying not the 23.8%, but the 49%. Okay, on that. That's my interpretation of it. But in addition to that, they're bringing back the alternative tax regime that existed. So they're doing those two things. And I would add also that what remains in fact is section 2801 of the, of the Internal Revenue Code, that if they have anything left and they then gift or bequest to a US person, the US will take another 40%. Oh my goodness, yes. So Virginia, I mean, leaving aside, you know, the emotions here, and let's say you're looking at this as a financial planner completely clinically, would you say that expatriation for many people is likely to be the single best financial investment they could ever make in their lives? You know, John, that's a very bold statement, but I think we have to keep it in context. People that are living in the U.S. and, and, and happy, you know, average taxpayer, even though well-to-do, they don't maybe want to change their lives and expatriate. They don't want to have to worry about, gee, I need another citizenship. I can't be stateless. So we have that group of people that are essentially happy being in the U.S. Then we have the other group of people that have, and these are the people that you and I deal with. They have moved overseas, you know, 10 years ago. They like the life. They have acquired a spouse maybe with another citizenship. They've then become a citizen of that spouse's country. And they're, they become very distant from the United States. For those people, okay, I think that your statement makes total sense. Okay. While we're talking about the, the whole Americans abroad issue, you know, we talked about this a little bit before hitting the record button. But let's remember that these rules under a citizenship taxation regime would apply to Americans abroad. So it would, if you're an applicable taxpayer, right, it's going to apply, it's going to absolutely guarantee double taxation because under the, you know, the annual mark-to-market rules, you'll have to pay a U.S. tax. When you sell the thing, you're going to have to pay another tax in your country of residence. There's going to be no tax crediting this stuff. So it's a way of guaranteeing double taxation for Americans abroad as well, or a certain number of them, right? I mean, maybe not today, but 20 years from now, I guarantee you that this is going to be the norm. Yes. I mean, you know, the propaganda one pager here, uh, it doesn't give you the true picture that, as you say, these numbers for the thresholds can be reduced in later legislation. And oh. what we've seen happen over the years is that, gee, you know, these things like you mentioned, the alternative minimum tax, they suddenly spiral out of control and they grow and they latch on to thousands of people that were never the initial targets of this, of the particular rules. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what will happen with this. And if people think this is not going to be enacted, I always look back and say, you know, John, I've been practicing for 40 years. You're about the same. We know 
when we've seen proposals come up and, oh, it wasn't passed and it comes up again and it wasn't passed, that eventually it does happen. Oh, there's I, I haven't the slightest doubt, Virginia, that this is going to be this is going to be the law. What this is really about is not going after a bunch of 700 billionaires. I mean, I, I can see that certainly Biden hates them. OK, you know, but but it's not about that. What this is about is getting a legislative structure and to apply this, you know, very, very broadly, gradually to everybody seamlessly and invisibly by just, you know, altering numbers, you know, every year and letting inflation do its work. That's right. You know, we see it with, you know, when I look at this, it reminds me of sort of the perfect storm where we have the intersection of the alternative minimum tax, the PFIC regime, and the exit tax rules. I mean, you know, I just see these things coming together in this. There is no better place to hide pure evil than in a tax code. Would you agree with that, at least? Sounds right, John. This is pretty bad stuff. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see other commentary on this. I, I know you've got a blog post coming out on this, which I read the preview, which is fabulous. And I hope people read it and take it very, very seriously. Okay, very, very seriously. Uh, this is not, in fact, new. This is a legislative proposal that reflects ideas that have been going on for a number of years. You can find them in the uh, the green books, yeah, etc. This is really an in run, I think, around the war on wealth tax. It's finding a way to tax wealth, defining mm -hmm. it as capital gain instead of wealth. You know, with all of the same problems. And anyway. Well, this is really great, and I thank you for taking time out from this important weekend in Dubai to have this discussion with me today. And any uh, any closing comments, including where would people get a hold of you to read your blog post coming out and all that? Sure. Um, okay, so the blog post will come out later on this coming week, and they can find me at www.us tax.org. Some people don't know what a hyphen is. Can you explain that, John? <laughs> You're better at explaining it than I am. A hyphen means it's the horizontal line. Okay, not the underlying one, the one in the middle, the horizontal line that goes between the word U.S. and tax. Right, it's a little dash, I call it. The dash, it's a dash. Yeah. There you go. So, yes, people can find me there. I've got a whole blog post category on expatriation, and this one will certainly be in that category. Right, and uh, I will be bold enough to suggest that when it's all said and done, all roads lead to expatriation. Yeah, John, it's getting to be that way. Okay, well, great to catch up with you again, Virginia. And I'm sure that there's a, in this hundred pages, by God, we've got at least another four or five podcasts somewhere, I think, on this, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. All absolutely. right. Great. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure. Likewise. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you.